Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Well, listen, um, I want to thank Mike Eunice for preaching last week. And uh, man, he's so good, isn't he? Mike, you did a great job, and uh, Mike serves as uh, one of our board members of our church, and so uh, he, and he's obviously said last week he's done that for a lot of years, and they kind of, two weeks from now, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called We Are Restoration, and uh, we're going to be talking about our mission, our vision, our values, some of the accountability structures that we have in as Restoration Church. The, the, one of the benefits of, uh, for us of being a part of a denomination is just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, show you who we are, why we do what we do, and, um, and, and let you probably teach you some things you didn't know about us. So that, anyway, that's coming in a few weeks. But, but at our location here in Dover, Marilyn Taylor, she led, the, um, she led communion. She also is a board member of the church, and um, these are are great godly people. Now today my sermon is call a mulligan. And we're in this golf theme in case you're here for the first time and like, oh man, he's about to hurt somebody, right? Uh, this, this golf theme, I don't have enough room here. I, I need more room. This golf theme um, series called Family Classic. We're talking about family. We're using some illustrations of golf to help us to remember, to help us to change, and to help us to make some spiritual connections that might be difficult for us otherwise. Now, listen, what is a mulligan in golf? Let me teach you this so you can, uh, you can understand uh, this illustration. So in golf, a mulligan is essentially, it's a do-over. And you get on that, you get on that tee, that first tee, and there's like 35 people watching you, and you're playing golf with with a bunch of big name pastors that, uh, and, and you just want to make a good impression. And so you pull back and you hit it and it goes like three, four feet in front of you and you are embarrassed. You're bright red. You start sweating profusely. Your ears are melting off your face. And, um, and then they cordially say, oh, take another shot. That's a mulligan. And so you put another ball into tea and you embarrass yourself all over again. At least that's what I do. Now, Usually, mulligans are reserved for spectacularly poor shots. So if it's kind of good, you're stuck with it. But for the horrible, hideous shots, they, you, you know, when you're playing casual play, they'll, you just take another shot. Um, in competitive play, there's certainly no such thing as a mulligan. You won't see that if you're watching uh, the PGA Tour. But we're, essentially, this is an illustration toward our message. So... What type of mulligan am I talking about? And in our families, I want to talk to you about repentance. And this is asking your family for forgiveness and turning away from your sin. So you, you go and do something, you walk into a room, you lose your mind, you walk out of the room, a mulligan would be walking back into that room and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. All right, I sinned, will you forgive me? And doing it over again, restarting. 
Many of us, I think we're too prideful. We won't do that. Maybe we never have seen that before, never modeled, had that model for us before. So we've never done that before. But this is what we're going to teach about. Now, uh, two key verses here for you is in Acts chapter three. I'll read the scripture for you. I should put this down, I guess. I'm going to get carried away. So Acts chapter three, verse number 19. This is scripture for us. All right. This is, um, you know, we're looking at this, trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to be like Jesus. And it says in this sermon that was preached, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And listen, there, you, we've all got some sins. There's probably some things that, that we've done in our family, some ways that we've treated each other that were sin, and we've never addressed it. We've never dealt with it. Deal with it now. Repent of those things that God would, um, you know, that you'd be forgiven. Those sins would be wiped away and you could move forward. Another scripture is in Acts chapter 17. And starting at verse number 30, it says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. And we could say, you know, maybe, maybe God's overlooked some things before because you didn't know you weren't taught. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. It's very clear. We must turn away from our sin and our sinful lifestyles. And within our family, we must turn away from these patterns of, of anger, patterns maybe even of abuse, patterns of neglect, patterns of ignoring, patterns of unrepentant sin. The Bible's full of this subject of repentance. The, the word repent or repentance or a form of it is used over 100 times in Scripture. It's used 58 times in the New Testament. That was the part that was written um, after Jesus was born. Jesus's first sermons, when he began to preach, all started with the word repent. It's important. We can't neglect it. We can't make light of it. And we want to learn what it is. We can incorporate it as another tool, as another club in our bag. Then in different situations, obviously, we've got to pull out different things. But to be able to, every once in a while, pull out that club of repentance and say, hey, I didn't speak to you right. I lost my temper. I, I was irritated. I, I was wrong. I sinned. Will you forgive me? In, um, let's talk about what repentance isn't, all right? Because we, if we operate by a wrong definition or an incomplete definition, that can, that's not repentance. So there are a, a few times in scripture where people, it looks like they're repenting, but they're not. So one of is in the interactions between Moses and Pharaoh. So Pharaoh is holding the Hebrew people as slaves. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, let, let them go, let the Hebrew people go. Pharaoh's not. All these plagues are happening. Pharaoh's getting beaten down. Twice he told Moses, I have sinned. Two times in those interactions, he said to Moses, I have sinned, but he did not truly repent. He never changed. So you can acknowledge your sin and, and not sin. And then 
Esau. It was uh, Esau, this story of Esau and his brother. Esau sold his birthright and he was, and he wept over giving it away. So he felt bad that he gave it away, but he never repented. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 12. And then Judas, we talked, you know, he was the guy who betrayed Jesus, lied about Jesus so that Jesus could, would be arrested. He felt remorse over betraying Jesus. Even Judas said, he, when he went back to the priest, he said, I have sinned, but he did not repent. So what is repentance? One, conviction of sin is not repentance. You can do stuff and feel convicted. Convicted is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't feel good, but it's a beautiful thing because it helps us to get closer to the Lord. It helps us, it exposes our sin and can, without conviction, maybe we would never repent. So conviction is necessary. Repentance includes conviction, but you can be deeply convicted and still not repent. An example of this in Acts chapter 24, the, uh, you know, the, the leader, his name was Felix. He felt, he felt conviction, but he didn't change. Second thing is this, sorrow is not repentance. You can certainly feel bad for yelling at your kids. You can certainly feel bad for mistreating your spouse, but then just keep doing the same thing over and over again, day after day, year after year, and feel bad. You can look at pornography and feel bad, but then the next night, look at it again and feel bad. You can sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, feel bad, but then the next day, do it again, and you just, you're feeling bad. You know it's sin, but you're not repenting. You just continue to be in that cycle. First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse number nine says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful. So I'm, this, I'm not just glad that you feel sorry you did the, that you sinned, but you were made sorrowful, this, this is convenient, to the point of repentance. The club's convenient, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. You felt sorrow and it led you to repentance. But so, just feeling sorry, that's not repentance. Hatred of sin is not repentance. Repentance includes this, but it is possible to hate sin and not turn from it. All right? So if, um, I mean, obviously, if there are many people who, who are stuck in addiction and they hate their addiction, but they're not able to walk away from it. They're stuck in their sin and they hate it. They hate how they feel. They hate the effects of it, but yet they're not able to walk away from it. And the last thing is this, repentance is not promising to be better. It's not promising to be better. People make a lifelong habit of doing this, saying, I'll be better, I'll be better, I'll try harder, I'll try harder. And interesting thing, when we talk about the, the, the story of the, of, the prodigal, of the prodigal son, that son who left his dad and squandered everything, when he thought about returning home, it was, not a repent, it was not repentance that brought him home. It was, it was just a, a desire to better his own circumstance. I'm eating in a pig trough and my dad's servants are eating better than this. I'll go be a servant. His desire wasn't repentance, but it was just I'll do better. At least 
I can be a worker at least. And in, in golf here, I don't know, I'm going to rearrange how I do that. In golf here, because I need to swing a club. Hopefully you guys can still see. In golf, the, and a little bit of lesson, and, and I, I shouldn't be doing this. Stick to preaching. <laughs> um, in golf, trying harder does not make you better. I was like, oh my word, I'm so embarrassed. I'm gonna, you know, you grip the club and you strength and you try harder and you end up shanking it worse and you end up, you know, pulling up and, and, you, and it just gets worse. What you gotta do is, it's a loose grip on that club. And people are like, you're connecting dots. You're gonna go to the driving range today and I'm gonna be the reason you're in the PGA Tour and you're gonna be the reason, your tithing's gonna be the reason we have 15 silver living homes around New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> So you gotta stay loose, you gotta stay loose, right? Happy Gilmore, stay loose, stay loose, stay loose. Pastor, you're causing me to stumble. Um, so we, uh, you've got to let the club do the work. It's not powering yourself to, to hit it further, you let the club do the work. Listen, we don't try harder. We go through the motions, but what? It's the Holy Spirit who does the work. We're just going through the motions. The Holy Spirit's the one driving our family, driving our life, driving us towards excellence. So repentance is, I'll put this definition. I'm this, man, you, you're like, here, let me just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove temptation. So I'm just, hopefully that, that's over there. I just stopped fiddling around with it. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of feeling, a change of purpose, and a change of conduct all together. And you recognize, sometimes I think the marriage or dating relationship is probably like one of the easiest ways to recognize this because they're like, man, I don't want to do that again. I feel bad that I did that. I'm not supposed to do that but I'm gonna keep doing everything I've always done before. It involves all of those things. If we're truly repentant, then our conduct begins to shift and change. God desires you to repent. It's a big word, seems like a scary word, but again, it is a beautiful word. And God's desire for you, he's not trying to make you repent because he's not angry with you. He wants you to repent because he has a better life and a better way and a better way to operate as a family than what you've been operating under. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to have eternal life, for all to come to repentance. So listen, when should you take a mulligan? Uh, when's the time to take a mulligan? When's the time to repent? Well, first off, I would say immediately. You realize you've shanked that, that interaction. You've just sent it way off into, into the woods, like big mistake. Immediately turn around, walk back into the room. Immediately switch the language in the conversation to own up what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter what they did to cause you to act that way. Own up to what you've done right then. Take a mulligan, repent. Every time you go out of bounds, 
you, you know, there's these boundaries of how we interact, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our relationships, in our families. Every time you go out of bounds of that, repent right then. In competitive golf, you can't do this, but in friendly play, you can. And you got to realize your family's not a competition. You're not trying to outperform. You're not trying to, you know, we're just so focused on being right and doing right that we won't admit we've done something wrong. And what will happen is you will lean toward legalism. You will parent toward legalism. You will, your relationship will become legalistic and you will lack grace. You will lack joy. You will need even more repentance. Next principle here for you about mulligans, and this one's going to seem a little bit off, but we'll talk through it. Don't take too many mulligans. All right, so we're talking about repentance, and like, what are you telling me to repent, and now you're telling me not to repent? Listen, let me help you. Well, most people would be okay if you're playing golf with people, most people are going to be okay with you taking the occasional mulligan. They really don't want you doing it every time you hit the ball, because it's going to drag on play, it's going to take forever, and it's going to get old pretty quick. Um, we've got to recognize we may start off taking a lot of mulligans, but for your own sake, you know, even if you're playing golf, how will you know you're growing as a golfer if you're always taking mulligans and you're never limiting yourself in how many you take? I would say this, um, you won't know whether or not you're growing it. How will you know whether or not you're growing in Christ or not if you're just so quick to, you're just like, oh, I just repent every time I do the wrong thing. But we should be growing to not have to need repentance. We should be getting coaching and training and, and advice from those further along from us to limit the bad habits and actions and motions that are leading us toward needing repentance. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So the question for you, are you growing spiritually? And the band, that's your cue. Are you growing spiritually? Now let me tell you about us. Someone's cheering. I don't know if it's like, he's almost over. <laughs> Maybe it's about something else. <laughs> I've only been talking for like 15 minutes too. Boy. Um, let me tell you about, about Michelle and I. Michelle's my wife and... Um, that first year of marriage, probably the first few years of marriage, the first two or three, maybe seven, <laughs> the first few years of marriage, I, we used to have a big, we used to have a big blowout every single week. Every week we would misunderstand each other. We'd hurt each other's feelings. We, um, you know, every, every single week. Well, we both love Jesus. All right. We're both followers of Jesus. Amazing thing began to happen that I noticed, and maybe Michelle didn't, but, but I certainly noticed, is that at some point, and I don't remember when, but I realized, oh, our weekly blowouts are now monthly blowouts. They're not happening as frequent. And I recognize, oh, God's changing me. I'm not 
getting irritated or agitated about the same things I used to. And God's changing my wife. She's not getting as irritated or agitated about the same things we used to. And then eventually I realized, oh, wow, our big blowouts, they're about quarterly. You know, they're, they're less and less and less. And, and then, um, you know, nowadays it's about every time I mention her in a sermon. So, so it's kind of up to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but it was quarterly. And then maybe I, I think I've recognized in, in our recent history, that there's probably been a couple years where it's maybe like one big blowout a year. And, and the amazing thing is, not only are the blowouts less frequent, but they're shorter. So the one that used to happen every week, would, would, it, would, it, it could go for like a couple of days. And then the one that happened a month, maybe a couple of days too. But then now the ones that were a quarter, now we maybe, if we have once a month, they can be settled in the same day. It can, it, you know, it can be one of us says something and, and it's early morning, we're irritated, we're short with each other, but then by lunch it's over with and we've moved on. So not only are they happening less frequently, but the duration of when they happen is shorter. Why is that? Well, it's because of repentance and it's because I don't just say, hey, I'm sinned, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But I say, Jesus Christ, will you help me change? Not to her, I, I, <laughs> that's a prayer. <laughs> it just sounded like a swear. I was, that was a prayer. Jesus, will you help me change? Jesus, will you help me change? And it's a real prayer. Jesus, I'm selfish. Help me with that. Why am I getting so messed up and irritated about this? Help me with that. Why am I treating her like this? Help me with that. Help me to have patience. I don't think she's treating me right, but give me, give me long suffering. Give me that fruit. And I, I'm going to go through the motions, but your club is going to drive that ball. It's going to, it's going to allow me to do what I can't do on my own. Help me with that. And I, I think the great thing is I know my wife prays those prayers as well. So we don't have a, we don't have a perfect marriage. We don't have a perfect family. To be honest with you, I sat my kids at the freedom retreat. I sat my kids down at the picnic table when I, we got home last night. And I said, guys, essentially God showed me something at freedom retreat. I want to, I sinned. I want to ask your forgiveness. And then I went to each and every one of them. This is what I, this, will you forgive me for this? And will you, will you forgive me for this? And will you, will you forgive me for this? And for you, will you forgive me for this? And I didn't make any promises to them. I promise I'll be better because that's not, that's less valuable than the manure the animals are leaving all over our yard. I don't promise anything. I don't say I'll try harder. I don't, no, I just step up to the tea box and I say, Holy Spirit, help me today. Help me in this moment. Help me in this difficult me. Help me to be like you, to my wife, to my kids, to my church. We close your eyes and let me, let me pray for you. As you get your eyes closed, I want to say, listen, don't be so prideful to refuse a mulligan. Some of us, we don't ever want to admit that we're wrong. He said, I don't need to say sorry. I did nothing wrong. I'll say sorry when they say sorry. Or even tragically, you say, it's too late. 
What you're doing as you're on that tee box is you're just, you're hitting that ball further and further away from the hole. You're playing on a, you're playing on a course in, in Manchester and now you've hit that ball, you're like all the way in, in Vermont at this point in your life. Listen, recognize how far you are. Repent, come back to the course God called you to play on and begin moving forward again in humility with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and in a God-honoring way. Jesus, we love you. And we lift up your name. We ask you, God, to forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us of our sins for, for the, the words we've said, for the, the tempers we've, that we've lost, for the way we've acted. Forgive us. We repent of our sin. We change our mind. We change our, our actions. We change our, our feeling. We change our conduct. We are going to act differently through your help and through your Holy Spirit. Change us, God. And I pray for the sons and daughters in the room who need to ask forgiveness and they need to repent to their moms and dads. Give them the courage. Give them the words to say. And may they, as teenagers and children and young adults, walk according to your spirit. May they live and act like Jesus. For the moms and dads in our church, that they will call a mulligan and go to their kids, even if their kids are maybe a little too young to understand, or even if their kids have kids of their own. And sometimes we've got something that's just gnawing at us. So like, man, I feel bad. I shouldn't have done that. And, and it could have been like Mike said last week. It could have been 20, 40 years ago. But that they would have the courage to still go have the conversation, the model repentance to their family and allow you to heal any wound that could be there. And for the husbands and wives. Man, wait, may it start with us. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, and may we be quick to repent. When I did that to you, it was sin. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? With no buts, with no defense, with no excuses, with no fake false promises. May we just live differently after we repent. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.